The Sanctuary, a community of Jesus people promoting the glory of God in all things to all nations through gospel-centered missional living. Whether it be working with groups in Africa to build orphanages and help rid the continent of AIDS, or feeding the hungry, giving to the oppressed, and helping the hurting who live in our own community, The Sanctuary invites you to be part of a culture of passionate service. You can change your world. Be inspired. Join the movement. Today, um, we're going to do something that's a little unusual for me, and Joe Parles here on the front row, he'll appreciate this. I don't do Mother's Day sermons. Um, I, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been speaking um, you know, in churches and stuff for a long time. I don't do them or Arbor Day sermons or Father's Day sermons or Vic- Victory Over Japan Day sermons or whatever other day sermons that we can do. But Mother's Day in particular, I haven't done them specifically for a couple of reasons. One, I'm a dude, um, and... I don't know exactly all the intricacies of moms and motherhoods and stuff. Secondly, I'm married to a woman. I know pretty much anything I say today is going to get critiqued heavily because I'm married to a mom and a woman. Third reason, I'm going to probably, if I spoke regularly on motherhood or womanhood, I would literally just hack off 50% of the people in the room every week as opposed to maybe 30% every week. Um, (laughs) So I just feel like I would just probably mess it up more often than get it right. Um, So today, I'm going to kind of come at it from maybe a different angle and not so much talk about mothers and motherhood as I'd like to just address our whole families, all of our families, um, and maybe come at it from a roundabout um, perspective this morning. Um, So we are going to talk about our families. We're going to talk to everybody in our family this morning, not just about moms or mothers or anything like that. So maybe to ease ourselves into it, uh, maybe this will help. Motherhood is hard. Can I get an amen, ladies? Like the hardest thing, God, men, we think fatherhood, they, they laugh at us. They, they have little secret meetings and they laugh at us at what, how hard motherhood is, right? We've just got nothing on them. So mother, motherhood can be difficult. And thanks to the internet, there's lots of ways for ladies to express that difficulty and their frustration. Now, so Liz, we have some pictures. If you could throw those up there. This is me when my kids trip over the toy. I asked them to pick up a hundred times. What's the next one? Never make eye contact with a child on the verge of falling asleep. They will censure excitement and abort mission. <laughs> this was definitely one of my children. How I feel when my kids won't eat their food. <laughs> Go ahead and starve. <laughs> me, I love being a mom. Also me. How do you fake your own coma? <laughs> oh, that was great. When your kid takes up all the space in your bed, even though there should be plenty of space for you both. <laughs> When you're trying to get your toddler's leg into a one-piece pajama, bend the knee. We quit using those things. We stopped using them because I wanted to hurt my child every time you're trying to pop that knee back into place. Me in the morning after a cup of coffee, me around dinner time waiting for my husband to come home. (laughs) This is the best one. This is for Mother's Day. Mom, I just wanted to tell you that Mother's Day wouldn't be possible without me. I'll be waiting for my present in the living room. <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. That kid, little Joshua, he's figured out about 20% of what Mother's Day is about. <laughs> maybe 10% of it, and the rest of it's about mom. So maybe that'll kind of ease us into uh, having our discussion today about uh, mothers and families and everything else. And I really do want to take this opportunity to talk to our entire families, because I do know that 
uh, it's hard to be in a family. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mean this in a, in a negative way at all. I just, I look back at when Mindy and I were married, you know, at 21 and 20, and, which was three or four years ago, <laughs> 21 and 20, uh, and I, I don't think anybody could have even explained to me how hard this thing was going to be. And, and, and the, the kinds of challenges that would come our way, like stuff that you, you would just never expect, you would never dream of. Like if somebody even tried to tell you, you would tell them they were making that up. There's no way it's going to be like that. There's no way that's going to happen in, in my life. There's no way our family's going to face that challenge. I just, I just never would believe uh, going into it, that we would be faced with the kinds of difficulties and challenges that we're faced with. Um, so it's hard on, on all of us in some way to figure out this family thing. And then I would say, again, a little more positively, I would say, it's kind of even harder sometimes to do this family thing in a way that honors the Lord. Because sometime or another, I think, you slip into just survival, right? How can I just get through the day? How can I just get through this week or this season of life or this season of my child's life or this season of my spouse's life? How can I just kind of make it through? And we don't want to just survive, right? That's not what I think the gospel calls us to. That's not what I think New Testament living calls us to is just getting by. So doing this family thing in a way that not only is satisfying to everyone, but also sort of soul-filling and not a drudgery, that can also be even more difficult. So I want to talk about uh, all of our families, to all of our families, every member of our family today. So we're going to start in the Old Testament. Um, we're going to go to Zephaniah. Like, oh my gosh, is that really a book? It is really a book in the Old Testament. So you go to Psalms, take a right. It's going to be one of the smaller books after you get through Ezekiel and Isaiah and Daniel. Kind of keep going a little bit to the right. If you get to Malachi, you're too far. Go back uh, three or four books before that. So Zephaniah chapter 3, if you don't want to try to fumble around and find it, we're going to have it on the screen for you. So Zephaniah chapter 3, and look at verse 14. It says, Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst you will fear disaster no more. In that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not be afraid, O Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. So let me just summarize those three or four verses that we just read. Basically what's happening here is, is that God's people uh, are singing a song to God, and God is singing a song over his people. So it's, just, it's a very odd passage, actually. Um, we are kind of used to, if we read the Psalms, we're kind of accustomed to people singing to God. We're not accustomed to reading a scripture passage that says that God is singing over us. But that's exactly what we get here in this text. People, God's people are singing to him, and God is singing over his people. So I'm just going to hit this because I do think the context is important um, as to when this book was written and who he was writing to. This is kind of a, a messianic vision. It's a vision of the future, all right? This isn't something that's necessarily um, happening in the past as it is that this prophet is looking ahead and he's saying, there's this time when God is going to comfort Israel. Now, I think that this is national Israel. It is the people of Israel. Probably not all of them, but it is literal Jewish people who have been converted 
to Christianity, and he is comforting them after millennia of them rejecting him. He's gathered them together. He's comforting them. He's wiping away their tears. And God's joy is full because his people have finally been brought home to him through Jesus Christ. And he is singing a song over them. It really is. I mean, because we're not Jewish, we don't really appreciate that probably as much as we should. But it's this beautiful picture of God uh, singing this song over this people that he started to work in, again, millennia ago. Now, I think that this is a principle, it's a truth that can extend out to those who enter into a covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So I think that the principle, the things that we see in this text can be also applied to the followers of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 15, it says, Jesus said, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one person who comes to know the Lord. As a matter of fact, in, in Luke chapter 15, it says specifically, there is, this is interesting, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Well, who else is in heaven except God? It's not that the angels so much rejoice, it's that God himself rejoices over those who come to know him through Jesus Christ. So I think this idea of God celebrating people, singing over people, taking joy in people, could be easily applied to us, should be applied to those of us who have followed Jesus Christ. So there's a group, that means, here's what that means, that means there's a group of people in this room this morning, and God is singing a song about you right now. God is singing over you right now with joy. There's another group of people who that's not true of. Simply because you're here and breathing and you're vertical doesn't mean that God's singing over you. He sings over his people. Who are his people? Those who have come to him through Jesus Christ, who have believed in who Christ is and what he did and the sacrifice of atonement that he made on the cross, all those words and language that we use. Those people who have come to him through that, God is singing a song over them. Psalm eighteen nineteen says it this way. If, in case you think this is some isolated idea, God has joy in us. Psalm eighteen nineteen. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Psalm one forty seven says, "The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, in those who hope in His steadfast love." And there are many more verses that we could point to. This is not a one off idea. I want you to really. I'm going to use the word convinced. I want you to be convinced this morning that if you are a Christian, a follower of Christ, that God takes great joy in you. He is loving you. He is singing over you. Now that idea that God sings over you, it represents God's joy. That phrase, it says he will rejoice over you with singing, could say he rejoices over you with shouts of joy. And that is how we should read this text. It's not like, we'll talk about it in a second. It's not that God has a tune in his head that he's kind of thinking about when you're around. He is shouting with joy over you. He is singing a song with you to the loudest of God's vocal cords, right? He is singing a song over you. We bring God great joy. Max Lucado said it this way, and, and I like this. I don't, I'm gonna, again, we've put it in the proper context, but he said, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. Whenever you want to talk, he'll listen. He can live anywhere in the universe, but he chose your heart. Face it, friend, God is crazy about you. We have to be utterly convinced that God loves us like that. That that's the kind of love when he says that he sings over us and he shouts over us, that that's the kind of love we're talking about. 
Now here, this is why I think this is so amazing. God, God sings over us with shouts of joy. I don't think it's hard for us to imagine, maybe, the angels looking at us and going, oh my gosh, that person came to Jesus through, through or came to God through Jesus Christ, through faith. I'm going to sing a song about that. That's amazing that any of these sinful people would ever come to know my God like that. I'm going to sing a song of praise about that. That's probably not hard for us to imagine. But that God himself, the holy triune God, sings over us. Who could ever even imagine that? This, this to me is one of those texts that if we want to talk about, is God real? Can we be sure there is a God? What about this God or that God or whatever? I think this is one of the things that separates the Christian God from every other kind of God you could even think of. Who imagines a God that sings over his people? All religions can think of people singing to their gods. But what group of people would say, my God sings over me? It's just beyond our imagination to even conjure up this kind of a God. God isn't just coldly sitting back and sending his son to make us righteous. And I think some of us think of God's love like that. That God has like a distant love or he has a creator love for his creation. And in order to redeem the creation that he's made, he sits back and goes, hey Jesus, will you go take care of that for me? That's not the picture that we get in Scripture. And I love this. Our saving God is singing with shouts of joy and love over us. And it's overwhelming to think of it like that. There's another uh, pastor. His name is Gabe Fleur. And he talked about this. And he said, let's go into the mosque and let's ask and inquire. Tell us about your God. The only question we need to ask, let's go to the mosque and let's inquire. Tell us about your God. Does he sing? And the response would be, no, no, no. That would be improper for God. Well, very well, let's go to the Hindu temple. Do your gods sing? No. Let's go to the altar of secular postmodernism, and let's say to that god, give us your god, the god of chance. Does he sing? No. The universe is full of sound and fury signifying nothing. It's either that or singing. That's the choice before all of us today. Deaf, dumb, mute, idolatrous gods or a god who sings. Do you see why the gospel isn't just true, but it is supremely beautiful? It captures us. It speaks to the deepest needs of our hearts and the deepest emotions that we can feel. It's not just true. It's beautiful. The gospel is a beautiful message. We look at creation and we should be in awe of it. We ought to be just stunned by what we see around us. But the God who made it all and hung it in the heavens looks at us and sings a song over us. And that should be even more stunning and even more overwhelming that God is like that to us. God, I want you to go back to the beginning of time. God made all life. He speaks and things that didn't exist come into existence. Right? That's just crazy. God made all of life. He makes Adam and Eve and he says, that's good. God hung the universe in space and he looks at it and he says, that's good. God gives Noah, he saves Noah, and he starts a new saving history, and he says, well, that's good. God gives the law and the sacrificial system, and he says, that's good. God called Abraham to bring a whole bunch of people from all over the entire earth to him. He brought little David to beat a giant and to be a king. He brings Israel back to their homes after 70 years in captivity in Babylon. He rescues Israel 
from the tyranny and the paganism of the Greeks. He sends his son to die on a cross, and he says at that, I am well pleased. But he sings over us. God sings over us. He has a theme song for you. I'm assuming God doesn't have an iPod, but if he did, I just imagine a customized playlist for each one of us. I can remember when Jenna was the child that would not sleep. That whole eye contact thing, that was my daughter Jenna. You could not look at her when you were ready to walk out the room because it would blow the whole deal. Okay? I can remember getting her to almost fall asleep and playing the little music box thingy over and over and over again. And when she was finally kind of, the eyes were rolling back, you'd have to crawl out of the room so she didn't see you leaving because she would wake up again and freak out, right? And I can remember it late at night or early in the morning going into her after Mindy was nursing because couldn't handle that, right? Moms, good job again. So after that, and I could do the bottle thing, and I would get up at one in the morning when she was flipping out, and I would hold that bottle in her mouth, and I would sing to her, and this is going to be awful. This is going to bring back memories. Don't cry, Jenna, okay? She doesn't remember this. Say, Jenna, 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 sweetest little girl I know. I'm not going to sing you the rest of it. That's between me and Jenna. And I would sing this to her over and over and over again. Never dawned on me that maybe she was crying because of the singing. Lesson learned. I had a song for Jenna. I'll always have a song for Jenna in my heart. Jordan's song was more like, Go to bed! Go to sleep! It was more of a hard rock kind of a headbanging kind of a song. Have songs for our kids in our hearts, don't we? I think God has a song for us in our heart, in his heart. And he sings a song of love over us. Are you convinced yet that God loves you? (laughs) This is basically what God's saying in Zephaniah chapter 3, okay? This is what he's saying to us. He's like, you, and you put your name in there, or Israel, for the literal translation, you are rebellious idolaters who God comes and grabs out of that idolatry because of his grace. And it says in these verses that he takes away his judgment from you. We know that's because of Jesus Christ. He takes away his judgment from you through Jesus, and he sings in love and joy over us. That is amazing. Then it says that God gets quiet. That's so interesting. He's singing, and he's shouting, and he's got this song of joy over you that he sings. And then it says that God gets quiet. Why is it that God gets quiet over us? Well, parents, I think you can also go here. Have you ever just stared at your sleeping child? Thanking God, one, they're asleep, right? (laughs) Thanking God that they're just there. And you're just quiet. You ever stare across the table or the room at your spouse? Do you ever get still and quiet at a sunset or a sunrise? You're overwhelmed with emotion. It's almost like you don't even have words to communicate what's in your heart. God looks at us and he contemplates who we are by faith in Jesus Christ. And he's just quiet over us. 
Are you convinced that God loves you yet? God loves you. He loves you with a love that you can't imagine and nobody would even bother to try to make up. In verse 14, it tells us that these are, he's talking about God's people. Shout for joy. Shout in triumph. Rejoice with your whole heart. So as we kind of think about our families, as we think about our, uh, we're going to transition, and as we think about that love that God has for us and how that works into your families, I want to ask you guys, one, are you convinced that God loves you? Two, are you passing on a response in love to God's love? Are you giving your children an atmosphere and an environment where you are thanking God for his love, where you are shouting for joy to God because he loves you? Are you passing that on to them? And I mean really, really passing that on to them. I'm not asking, are you passing on to your children some kind of positive spirituality? I'm not asking, are you passing on to your children the idea that you've been saved, and that's amazing, that you've been redeemed from your sins, and that's incredible. I'm not asking, are you, are you passing on theological clarity to your kids? I'm asking, are you passing on to your children, shouting to God because he loves you? Shouting a song of victory to him because he loves you. And that is real reality in the face of our present reality. The real reality is is that God loves us. And are we passing on that kind of praise to the Lord because of his love in our families? Are you wiring your house for complaints and bitterness and victimization and faithlessness and small prayers? Or are you wiring your house for praise and joy and celebration and salvation and big prayers and trust in God? God loves you. Are you wiring your house in a res- as a response to that love? Why should we shout like this in our houses? Because listen, because God is acting in your family. Whether you see it or not, whether you can actually put your hands on it or not, we want to shout in our families and teach them to respond to God's love with this kind of joy because God is acting on them. God is acting for them. God's removing the source of their shame and their distress and their fear. This is all Zephaniah chapter 3. This is what God's doing. He's removing their fear and their threats and their distance from God, their sins and their sinfulness. That's what God's doing and he, because he loves us. Are we passing along to our children shouts of joy to our God as a response to God's love for us? It gets really practical. Are you treating your wife and your husband and your kids like you have this kind of joy? Are you treating your wife and your husband and your kids and your spouse like you have this kind of joy? Are you governed by a darkness of the soul, distress of your emotions, and slavery to your circumstances? We are passing on something to our kids at home. Are you passing on the idea, the fact that you are absolutely convinced that God loves me and he is acting for me and he is doing things that I can't see for my benefit. And we're going to praise the Lord because of that in our house. Amen? Are we passing that on to our kids? Or are we passing on something else to them? So how much of our... This is a question that we've been asking for years and years now, right? How much of our family's response to God's love is caught or taught? In other words, do I teach my children... Do I get a songbook out? Do I teach them something in terms of responding to God? Or do they just sort of watch me and catch what it looks like? 
to respond to God's love like that. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7 says, teach your children this in the comings and goings, right? While you come, while you sit down, while you lie, while you stand, while you live your life, teach your children these precepts. So to me, that sounds a little bit like teaching, right? Wherever you're at, you're giving them, you're teaching them the things of God. Ephesians chapter 5, which we'll look at in a second, says train up your child in the way that they should go. That sounds kind of technical training. That sounds like you're teaching them. I want to go back and I want to talk a little bit about where these commands were given. When God says to train your child, to teach them in your comings and goings, you've got to remember that their cultures, for, for the history, for the vast majority of human history, we were all agriculturally based. We were all agrarians. We were all working on a farm, around a farm, something that had to do with what we would call like the food industry, uh, preparing food, uh, taking food from one place to another, or the things that would make food. Food drove culture for millennia over human history. So this culture was what we call agrarian, which means this. Moms and dads were with kids all the time. We have created an environment, a system, where we take our children and we send them somewhere. Okay? Doesn't make it bad. It just means that things have changed. So when we hear them saying in Deuteronomy, teach your kids when you come and when you go, when you sleep and when you sit down and when you rise and all that, well, that was what they did. That was like life. He was just describing a day in the life. Okay? So he's like, as you're living your life, give these things to your kids. It wasn't a formal didactic teaching environment. Only the wealthy had, had access to that. So we have to figure out, there's really two choices that we have to make. We either go back and live on a farm, which means I'm going to die really soon, okay? <laughs> we're going to go back and live on a farm, or we're going to find out how to make this work in our 8 to 6 overly busy culture. Do you understand that that's your option? Your option is to go back and try to make it happen in another environment or to recognize you live in a particular time and place in history and God has placed you here and he's given you the same commandments that he's given them and you have to figure out how to do this in your culture and in your home and in your family. So we're going to kind of transition this idea that God loves us and we have this response to God's love and we're going to switch our thinking over into uh, Ephesians chapter 5 if you want to turn there. But again, this God loves us thing is an Old Testament. It's a New Testament. First John chapter 4 says that we love because God loved us first. The only reason we can love other people. And the entire book of First John is about loving other people. That's the whole book. That's what it's all about. So he, John is saying, listen, the only way we can do this is because God loved us first. And we see in this section here in Zephaniah... That God loves us and that people are singing back to God. But what does it look like for us to live in God's love every day? Because I don't live on a farm. <laughs> and it's not 5,000 years ago. It's today. So what does this look like for us? What does this look like in our home? So I want to point us to Ephesians chapter 5. As it talks about our families and what our families should look like. And why would we do that? Because living in God's love, because being loved by God means at least two things. First of all, it means we're going to do our best to be in right relationships with other people. If God loves me and I love God, that means very plainly throughout the, the whole uh, scripture witness that if God loves me and I love God, I'm going to do my best to be in right relationships with other people. I'm going to do my best to love other people. They are image bearers. They're the object of God's love. And our love for God is displayed fully and maturely as we love other people. Second thing, 
because we want to take this idea of loving God and being loved by God and see what it looks like in our daily life. So in this Zephaniah passage and in Ephesians, God has called his people to him, to himself. He wants to live with them. He wants to live with them in his ways and in his will to the point that we are close enough to God to just intuitively catch on to God's heart's desires. Here's where I get a little mystic, okay? And I know this bothers some people. I I don't think some, doesn't work for some people, okay? But here's how it works for me. I think God has an express will. There, There are things that God has said super clearly, right? Like a lot. I could spend my whole life just doing this, just reading this and figuring this out. God has spoken very clearly about some of his will, the majority of his will. We live in a lot of gray. We live in a lot of difficulty. We live in a lot of things that aren't as clear as maybe we would like them to be. And I sometimes need to say, pray a quick prayer and say, God, what do you want me to do right now? I can't recall a verse, a verse in the Bible that tells me exactly what to do this minute. I need you to tell me. Holy Spirit, fill me. Tell me what to do. So God is calling us into this relationship because he loves us, that we would live close enough to him, that we would intuitively know his will for us. I want to know what he says, but I want to know in my heart that he's speaking to me and he's leading me through the day about how to live out the love that he has for me. That's going to happen primarily, first of all, in our homes and in our family. So let's look in Ephesians chapter 5. God loves us. We're going to keep coming back to that. What does it look like to live that love out every day? We're going to start in verse 21, chapter 5, verse 21. Kind of a long text here. He says, so be subject to one another or to submit to one another in the fear of Christ. Then he goes into the most famous passage in the Bible about marriage. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But just as, uh, but just as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands. Love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that we should, or that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of the body, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Now guys, we got eight verses. Our, our wives got two. And all of, it's, all of it revolved around love. We're going to come back to that. Verse 1, chapter 6. Children, you're like, yeah, mom and dad love each other. I don't have to do anything. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, dads again, guys again, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. What does it look like to live and to be convinced that God loves us? 
What does it look like to be convinced that he loves us and that I want to love God back? I want to shout with joy to the Lord. Maybe singing's not your thing. Maybe coming in this room and, and singing some song just doesn't do it for you. But you know what? There's ways for you to worship the God every day, to worship and praise the Lord every day. So what does it look like to praise him because of the love that he has for us? I think a lot of this gets fleshed out in our homes. Much of that love of God and love from God gets fleshed out in our homes. Your home, your home, your family of origin is the place of the strongest influence you will ever have in your life. Ever. Not just on our children, but on all of us. Your physical health, mental health, gender roles, self-image, politics, language development, math learning skills, sorry guys, diet and health, religious beliefs and practices, financial stability, earning power, all of that comes from our homes. Our homes are the most significant place of impact in our lives. Now some of that shifts and transfers over time from our parents, actually, the longer you're married to your spouse becomes that person in your life. So I think Ephesians lays this out pretty strongly. As we're looking through the book of Ephesians, this is what he's saying. He's saying, you're no longer slaves to sin. This is, I'm going to summarize the whole book. You're no longer a slave to sin. You've been chased down by God. You've been made right with him through Jesus Christ. You are new creations. And he says for two chapters, don't live like your old person. Don't live like the old man. Don't live like the lost world anymore. Live differently. Now we then take what he says about family and home and kids and all that stuff, and we just kind of make it a list of stuff to do. We make it like it's something to be obeyed. Because God said I have to submit, I'll submit. Because God said I have to obey, I'll obey. Because God said I have to respect, I'll respect. And we return it to a list of do's and don'ts. But in reality, Paul is making an argument, right, where he lays out the principle, and then he goes through the ideas of what that might mean. And he's like, you want me to make it clear for you? Here's what I mean when I'm saying to you, God loves you, he's chased you down, he's called you out of your sins, and you're supposed to live differently. This is what it looks like. It's actually the strongest argument he can make. He is trying to think of what's the best illustration I can give them about what it means to live in the love of God. I'll talk about their families. So it's the best illustration he could think of. It's the fullest, the family is the most concrete place where we can live out God's love and pass it on to somebody else. We can live out God's love for ourselves and then we can pass that on to our family, our children, our spouses. God loves us. And he sings over us. And he brings us to him, and we get to live with him for now and forever. And then we would look back at him, like Zephaniah in chapter 3, we would say, we love you. We love God. But what does that look like? So will our kids, will our families walk out of our homes one day and say things like this? Man, my mom and dad could really cut a rug in worship, dude. When the worship song started, mom and dad got going. They loved being in church and worshiping. Man, my dad could sit and grunt at the pastor better than anybody. I didn't know what it meant when he grunted, but he was grunting a lot. My mom could drive to Awana and help us memorize verses while she drove over the speed limit. My mom was an amazing mom. Or, well, they say things like this. My mom supported and respected my dad because she loved Jesus. My dad spoke life and meaning into my mom, and he sacrificed his life for her because he loved Jesus. 
we are all going to die someday and people will be sitting at our funeral speaking about us. What will your children say about your home? What will your kids say about your family? What will your spouse say about your home and about your family? My husband gives a great picture of God's love, God's grace, and God's discipline to our children because he loves Jesus. This is the part that's taught and caught. We're generally teaching our children what we believe about God's love for us while we live out our Christianity with them. I can tell them God loves me, God loves you, God's got great plans for you, you're treasure to God, da 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 How am I treating them the other 99% of the time? How are my actions reflecting the fact that I'm either convinced of or not convinced of the fact that God loves me? All of it gets fleshed out primarily in our homes. So what does this all have to do with God's love? And again, this is right out of Ephesians, and I think I'm tying these things together. It says, I am filled with God's love through the gospel. That's Ephesians 1 and 2. I love God because of the gospel. The Spirit of God fills me because of the gospel. So here's what that looks like at home. I can love, I can respect, I can obey, I can submit as we are all living in the love of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. God loves me, and he is singing over me right now. Can, can you just say that to your soul? You have to say it out loud right now, but can you say it in a convincing way to your soul right now? God loves me, and right now he is singing a song over me. Now here's what that lets you do at home. God loves me, and he's singing a song over me, what do you need to thrive? What do you need to be loved, to be respected, to be led, to be obeyed, and to be honored? I can't wait to give that to you because God loves me, and I want you to know his love like I do. See, some of us have a hard time living at Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 because we're not convinced that God loves us. It's really hard to go home and say, What can I give you to thrive if I'm not convinced that my love needs are primarily being met by the creator of the universe and he sings over my soul? So in Ephesians, once again, this passage comes after a long teaching about what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit or live in the Holy Spirit Nothing changes between verse 20 and verse 21. We think there's some hard break because there's a line in our our Bibles that gives a heading. We think like Paul wrote that in there. He didn't. Editors put that in there. Editors put verses in there too, by the way. Paul didn't write verse 21 and 20, all that stuff. We came back and added the verse stuff to it, okay? Paul's just got this long idea, and he's like, listen, you should not live like that anymore. God loves you. He saved you. You should live in a way that shows that you love God. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? Go home and love each other. Go home and respect each other. Go home and honor your parents. Go home and obey your parents. If you want to know what it looks like to be living in this new love of God, in this new life that God gives you, and to be filled by the Holy Spirit, live like that at home. Love, respect, and obey. The love of God that we receive from the gospel takes away our need for the universe and for my family to fulfill me in my every emotional need. 
I'm going to say that again because that was a lot. The love of God that we receive from the gospel, through the gospel, takes away my need for the universe or my family to fulfill me in my every emotional need. Don't put the crushing weight of your emotional needs being met on your family. They cannot meet it. They weren't created to meet it. God has already given a fulfilling love to you because the gospel affirms that you were loved more than you could ever imagine. And as you're filled up with that love, you are confident enough to give it to other people. And your family is the natural target of that God love and the self-love that you can have. Your family is the natural place where you can pour out, God really loves me. I'm secure in that love. I actually like me a little bit better now, knowing that God loves me. The gospel affirms all of that to us and allows us to give it to other people. So we said earlier, there's a whole bunch in here to men. So I want to come back and hit our, our dads a little bit here. Dads, you know what? I think so much of this, this idea of what we see in Ephesians 5 and 6 flows out of us. We enable it or we cap it. We've reversed this in our homes and we've put a lot of the weight of what happens at home on our wives. But in reality, I think scripture, the point of being the scripture, the spiritual leader in the home is that it flows in us. It comes through us. And he spends a lot of time in this text talking to us, doesn't he? With our children and our spouses. So much of this is coming through us. Now listen, here's what will happen. Your wives, they're going to step up and do this if you won't do it. Your children can kind of pick it up from other people if you won't do it, but that is not God's design. It's not God's desire. Dads, men, he wants you to be convinced that he loves you. This is not a feminine idea. This is an exceptionally masculine idea. God loves you. Guys, can you say that to your hearts right now? Are you convinced of that? God loves you, dad, man, And he wants that love that he has for you to be confidently displayed in how you love your family. All of us have a craving for a father's love. I think God wired us that way. We want a man or a father figure in our lives to love us, to sing songs over us, to be just wrapped up in us. We are all created that. Song of Solomon says it like this, Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Could you describe God's love for you like that? Because he is. That's how God is saying, that's how I love you. It's a burning fire in me. I've branded your name on my arm. It's a fire I can't put out. I love you like that. So dad's mom or dad's and husband's, your wife is wondering today, does God love me? Because I don't love me very much. My kids don't love me, it doesn't seem like. Does God love me? Does he love me anymore? Does my spouse love me anymore? Give her the gift today, guys, of God's love. You can shower your spouse with love, genuine, real, emotional, 
full self-sacrificing love, the kind of love that we see in Ephesians chapter 5, because God loves you, and you are enjoying that love today. The greatest gift that you could give your wife, or your future wife, or your children, or your future children, enjoy the fact that God loves you, and then love them with that kind of love. Men, enjoy God's love. We don't even know how to receive love, do we, guys? <laughs> We're such sloppy people. We don't even know how to do that emotionally. Receive God's love. Enjoy the fact that God loves you, and then love your family with that kind of love. Why is this so important? Why am I spending so much time in this? Why does Paul spend these 10, 12, 15 verses on this idea? Because there is an entire world that needs the love of God. There's a whole world out there that doesn't love God and that cannot love God without the same gospel that says you are loved. In your homes, in our homes, we're creating the seedbed for a powerful gospel life or we are stifling the effectiveness of the gospel because my family isn't sure about God's love. Dads, when we domineer and when we disrespect And when we act unlovingly, we are undermining the gospel because the gospel says God loves you and he loves your spouse. He sings a song over your spouse. And when you treat them and your children as if God has a lesser love for them, you're undermining the actual essence of the gospel at that point. Our homes are the seedbed for the gospel to go out in power. If my children emerge from my family the little train wreck of a family that we are, if my kids emerge from that and they go out with the gospel on their lips and they're convinced that God loved their dad because he loved them and their mom well, the gospel goes out in power. That's why this is so important. Get out of your house. Get out of this church. Get out of the Christian ghetto and love people because you are confident in your love for Christ and his love for you. Love God and love people. Love God by loving the people closest to you, which is your family, and then together go love other people. Tim Keller said that God designed marriage to reflect his saving love for us in Christ. Paul says that explicitly in Ephesians chapter 5. We think he's talking about marriage. He says right in the middle of it, I'm actually speaking about God and the church. Our families are a reflection of God's love for people. How are we doing with that? Our families are the seedbed for the gospel to go out. There is no greater gift that we can give to our families this year for the rest of our lives than the gift of loving God in our families. Dad, what makes family life a joy is for me to enjoy the joy that comes from the fact that God enjoys me. You ready for that? It's a lot of joy. What makes my family life a joy is for me to enjoy the joy that comes from the fact that God enjoys me. I should be joyful in my heart that God loves me. I should be wrapped up in the fact that my Father takes joy in me. And that joy overflows into my family. That's the greatest thing that I can do. What if this is our duty and the mission of our families? What if this is it? What if the whole big thing that our families are supposed to be doing 
is to enjoy the fact that God loves us and for that joy to overflow out of our hearts into our families so that they're convinced that God loves them. To show our children, to show our spouses that tomorrow has a lot of unknown things coming our way, but they don't rule us because we're sure that God loves us. To show our family, to show our spouses that we're going to live through pain and we're going to live through losses and they're not going to destroy us because we are sure that God loves us. It all goes back to, are you convinced that God loves you? And it bleeds directly into how we live in our homes. So because God loves us, and because we're convinced of God's love, we can open up our hands. So many times we have our families and we're like (laughs) strangling the life out of them. We're so desperate to keep them close. We're so desperate to keep them safe. We're so desperate to have them love us a lot of times, I think, to be honest. For them to know that we love them and we just keep them here and nobody can breathe anymore. If I'm convinced that God loves me, I can love them and I can kind of let go a little bit and I can quit strangling them and my children and my spouse so that I don't manipulate them to give me what I think I deserve and what I think I'm owed. I can lovingly open up my hands and my heart and I can give love generously to them and I can sit back and humbly wait for it to come back. I don't have to manipulate it out of them. If I'm convinced that God loves me, I will love them, enjoy God's love, give it to them over and over and over again and trust it will come back. I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit. Here's what we got to do. We got to go to our children and maybe you got to say this to them. Some of us need to take them out to lunch and say this to them. I am trusting that the Holy Spirit is changing you and equipping you to love me like this and I'm going to submit to you. We're going to submit to each other. God loves us enough to relax and to stop looking for satisfaction in each other. It's not what our families were made for. The first step to getting out of the way of your spouse and to not being trapped in families that are empty of love and respect and honor is to give everyone a place to flourish where everyone is convinced that God loves them and he is singing over them. So here we go. Dads, let's take a step back. Are you convinced of this? Secondly, are your children convinced of this? Have you passed that on to your kids or have you passed on to your kids? You're a knucklehead. You're a loser. You need to sit still. You need to be quiet. You need to make better choices. You need to da 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 Are your children convinced that as they have followed Christ in faith, that God is singing over them? We get to open up our hands, live a life of love and respect and honor because God loves us. So listen, this whole marriage thing that we're in, it's either contractual or it's covenantal. And I don't have time to get into that right now. But I'll say it like this. It's either a contract that we sign, I'll do this if you do that, and you'll do that if I do this, and this is what we get at the end, or it's a covenant. And in a covenant, you basically say this, I'm going to give, and I'm going to give, and I'm going to give, and I'm going to love, and I'm going to love, and I'm going to love, and I'm going to trust that you're going to do it because God loves you and he's changing you too. If I'm not absolutely convinced that God loves me, I'll live in a contractual marriage. Because that's the only way I'll be guaranteed that I'll get back what I think I deserve. If I'm convinced that God loves me, I can do this as a covenant. And I'll love you, and I'll love you, and I'll love you, and I'll give to you, and I'll give to you, and I'll give to you. 
because I'm trusting that God loves you and he's singing over you and it's going to come back. You guys bow your heads, close your eyes. A couple of things we're going to do. There are moms here with us today. We're going to pray with our moms in just a second or over our moms. That's going to come in a second. But the first thing I want to do is just go back to two things. One, go back to the beginning. First of all, I want to ask you, are you convinced that God loves you? So really, like nobody looking around, but could you just kind of pray that to the Lord? God, I'm not convinced. I'm really not convinced that you love me. Not like this. I trust that you died for me, and I trust that you saved me, and I know I'm going to go to heaven, but I, I'm not really overwhelmed by the sense that you're singing a love song over me right now. I want to be convinced of that. I want to be able to say to my soul of souls, God loves me. He is singing over me. Can you just pray that prayer to the Lord? Nobody's looking. If you would just say, that's kind of my prayer this morning. I want to be convinced that God loves me. We just put your hand up. I want to pray with you. God, I'm not always convinced of this. That, quite frankly, most days. Circumstances argue against this. My flesh argues against this. My short-sightedness tells me I'm not loved. God, convince me that you love me. Convince me that you're singing a song over me. Let me enjoy the joy that you get as you enjoy me. Convince me of your love. Second thing, some of our families are just struggling. If they're not struggling in a dry place, because nobody's loving very well, nobody's respecting very well, nobody's honoring very well, nobody's submitting to each other very well, second prayer I'd like to pray is for those of you in any kind of family situation just say God would you give me the strength and the courage to give love to my family could you just pray that give me the strength and the courage to give love to my family give me the strength and the courage to give respect to my family give me strength and courage to give honor to my family God, convince me of your love so that I can love my family like this, so that they will be convinced that you love them like that too. So I don't think there has to be a ton of moving around, but I'm going to ask this, that if your spouse is here or your mother is here or whatever, if you could just kind of gather around them. So maybe kids got to get up. So you're going to physically get up at this point. Surround your mom, surround your spouse. Here's the other thing. I don't want moms to be by themselves this morning. So if there's a mom that is here by themselves, get up and go to them, okay? So kind of look around, be aware of the people around you. And let's pray with our moms. Yeah, kids, you guys get up. Students, get up. Go with your mom. Just get around them. Grandmothers, everybody in the room. And let's pray about these things this morning. Pray this for your mom. Let my mom be convinced Let my mom be convinced that she's loved. And then let us and our families give this kind of love to our mothers and let us respect each other like this and honor each other like this and submit to each other like this. To my spouse, maybe it's to my wife who's here with me and she's a great mom. Pray that over her. Let her know. Let her be convinced that God loves her. Let me love her like that. Just pray right now. Pray over your moms. Pray over your grandmas, whoever's in the room right now. Go ahead and pray a blessing over them. Somebody in your little group, lead that prayer. 
your mom's not here, you can pray for her, obviously. Keep praying. Just let me encourage you. Pray big prayers over mom. Don't pray little prayers. Pray big prayers over mom. Mom needs to be loved. She needs to be convinced that she's loved. Give her that. Father, we do pray over our mothers this morning, and some of us are blessed with our moms still being here. Some of us are blessed with our moms in the room right now. It's our spouses who are fantastic mothers to our children. And we pray over them, first of all, that they are convinced of the love of God. And I would say this, Father, where we need to confess that because of our actions, our mothers or our spouses have not felt the love of God through us. Let us have the courage to do that. So God, let us, do, let us live that out very practically. You love us. Let our moms be convinced of that. Where we have argued against that by our behavior, our attitudes. Let us confess that to you and to them. And then God, I pray that our homes are a place where we convince one another that God loves us, right? We need to all be reminded of that. Ephesians says, how do we do that? We can do that by loving each other, respecting each other, honoring each other, obeying our parents, uh, submitting to each other, God. Father, I pray that the love that you have for us pours into our families like that and that we can remind each other of your love every day in our homes. In your name we pray, amen.